Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Uncensored Empath, a place for us to discuss highly sensitive energy, illness, healing, and transformation. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a life and success coach for empaths who want to create a thriving body, business, and life. Think of this podcast as your no BS guide to navigating life, health, and entrepreneurship. You'll get straight to the point, totally holistic tips from me in real time as I navigate this healing and growth journey right beside you. This is a Soul Fire production. Holy sex magic. My guest today is going to blow you away. Not only does she have a just very captivating story of recovering from religious trauma, she also has this experience with invisible illness that has continued to show up in her body and continue to send her messages. And she has come full circle to come back home to herself through and despite trauma and setbacks and challenges and physical pain and emotional unknowns. And after having this conversation with Jamie Lee Finch today, I just feel so inspired that we can all come back home to ourselves. Jamie published a book called You Are Your Own, A Reckoning with the Religious Trauma of Evangelical Christianity. She is a sexuality and embodiment coach, an intuitive healer, a self-conversation facilitator, a sex witch, and a beautiful poet. She helps humans connect to their own bodies, and her work focuses on reframing the reality and experience of embodiment, the language of relationship. In today's conversation, we start by getting to know Jamie better. She shares her story, and regardless of whether you are somebody who has a similar trauma story with religion, with organized religion or not, I think you are going to resonate so much to the way that trauma shows up in the body and how we can reclaim our power over a story that we potentially have been born into, take back that power and create and write our own story in our life. So I'm so honored to have Jamie on the show. Let's get this conversation started. All right. Welcome to the show, Jamie. I'm so excited to have you on today. 
Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit better in our conversation too. Yeah, same. We were just getting to know each other a little bit and Kelly connected us and I'm just so glad she did because I've been following you on Instagram and just really resonating with the words that you you share. Your words are so beautiful and I think really embody a lot of the emotions that I've felt and have been feeling lately as well. And there's a line in your Instagram bio that I could not look away from, which was that you published a book on your experience, your journey with evangelical Christianity that got you kicked off of Instagram. So can you tell me Mm -hmm. a little bit about that? (laughs) Yes, I'd love to. Um, so I, the book that I published um, and self-published, it was my academic thesis. Um, so that's, I feel like that's important to say too, because there's a lot that I didn't know about that I didn't know I was getting myself into when it comes to publishing, because I haven't really had a standard publishing journey. Um, I just needed to graduate school and I had to write a thesis to do that. And then um, some people... Uh, as my following grew on social media over the last few years, a lot of people via social media asked if they could read it when I was finished because it speaks to an experience that a lot of people have shared. Um, so I got it into an ebook format and then an audiobook format in March of last year. And then um, a really generous uh, friend, Tucker Fitzgerald, helped me navigate the world of um, Kindle Direct Publishing on Amazon. And that resulted in just a self-published like paperback copy of it. Um, and right in between those two things, um, which was probably really inconvenient for trying to um, promote the paperback copy of it, um, about three weeks into uh, three weeks after the launch, heavy air quotes launch of the ebook and audiobook version, um, the cover used to look different. And so it still jerry's a little bit out if I got kicked off Instagram because of the cover. I highly doubt it because um, it, it wasn't breaking any rules or violations. Jury's out if I got kicked off because of like sexually explicit content on the cover or if I got kicked off Instagram because uh, my book was classified as hate speech. Um, because all I know is around the beginning of April of last year, I woke up one day and couldn't gain access to my Instagram, thought maybe I was hacked. And really at this point, all I had been doing, I hadn't officially been promoting anything because in my mind, there wasn't anything official to promote. I was just reposting in my stories people posting about the book and posting about um, the audiobook and the content. So after a couple of weeks of that, all I knew is that I woke up, couldn't get into my Instagram when I attempted to reach out um, to their support uh, repeatedly is when I got, a, you know, um, what's it, the, the standard kind of letter of like, we have disabled your account because you violated our terms and here's what you violated. And so it, that was... Um, Yeah, that was a lot because I I was primarily confused about what in the world I had violated. Um, But then the more people I talked to who kind of knew things from inside that world and were on my end of the experience as well, um, the more we kind of figured out that what it looked like had happened is that um, evangelical Christians were not pleased with the fact that my book is literally called You Are Your Own, A Reckoning with the Religious Trauma of Evangelical Christianity, and decided that I was. Uh, using hate speech to target a specific group of people, um, which violates, if that is what I was actually doing, that does violate Facebook and Instagram's um, terms of, you know, terms and conditions. So yeah, it was disabled for, gosh, eight or nine months, I want to say, until um, a reporter, uh, Nico Lang, who at the time worked for Out Magazine, and now I'm pretty sure he works for Vice News. Someone on Twitter had alerted him. He was doing a piece on Bethel in Redding, California, their um, relationship to their kind of version of conversion therapy and their anti-LGBTQ policies. And he was writing this for out. And someone on Twitter um, alerted him to the fact that, oh, Bethel is allowed to promote conversion therapy and actual hate speech on Instagram. And people report them over and over and over and they don't get disabled. But yet Jamie Lee Finch writes a book about this like abuse and this trauma and gets kicked off Instagram. So he reached out. He was like, what's that about? Can you tell me more? We had a conversation. He reached out to Instagram for comment. And honestly, within, I think about three or four days, my account just reappeared. So I, (laughs) so I'm still, I will probably never know what happened, uh, except for what I 
pretty much know what happened. Um, and I'm really glad I got the old account back because it was like nine years of memories. But by that point, I had already started a new one and had kind of started building that one up. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's the story of the book and getting kicked off Instagram for it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And now myself, I'm sure listeners are probably very curious about your story. And what did you write about in your book? And what is the uh, the reckoning that you talk about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, even even learning that I needed to write about my own story in the book was its own journey. Um, uh, Like I said, it was my academic thesis. So I set out to make it highly academic, which was not just what I logically thought needed to happen, but also was a bit of an avoidance tactic on my own part, because the idea of diving into my own story the difference between writing about trauma and looking back at your own life and seeing how that trauma has impacted you. And that felt obviously way more vulnerable and way more risky. Um, and I largely avoided it for the first, uh, first half of that writing process um, until my academic advisors uh, very sternly and lovingly encouraged me otherwise. And I just got brave enough to reshape the thing and redo it. So it really was a lot. Ultimately, the work that exists now involved a lot of um, going back through my own past experiences, not just cerebrally, but quite literally. I um, About six months before I was finished, no, about three months before I was finished, it was like, you know, in the 11th hour, mm-hmm. I went back to the town where I grew up and went back to my dad's house and got like six boxes worth of just stuff from my childhood, my adolescence, even my early 20s, just like notes I'd saved from middle school or like, you know, journal entries I'd written throughout my entire existence, AOL instant messenger conversations I'd printed out with like friends from, you know, ninth grade or um, particularly notes that I had taken and things I'd written down from my evangelical experiences in church services, at summer camps. I also went to a Christian school. I had Bible classes. The most noticeable thing about those six boxes is there is very little of me and very like an overwhelming amount of who I thought I was by way of um, my relationship to my religion. So, you know, you could kind of, you could kind of trace the through line of like, if I, how I was feeling about myself, depending on how I was writing about myself in these things. So, you know, a lot of self-flagellation in my early twenties when I thought I was being like too sinful and, you know, and a lot of that, I mean, that was actually something throughout a lot of it was, you know, However, I thought I was being the wrong kind of woman, wrong kind of Christian. Um, that's predominantly what I was writing about was just being so bad and wanting God to make me better. So I feel very much like I was able to commune with my younger self in this writing. And it did result in you know the work that exists now, which is a very honest look at not just the, the idea of the things that I was taught and whether or not they're legitimate or true or false and more, well, what's the psychological impact of teaching, um, teaching someone who is, whose brain is developing these things about themselves, these things about the world around them and these things about God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I now know and what I've been able to name as traumatizing um, and what I've heard from so many people in the last year has been so helpful for them to name as, as traumatic in their experience was that being taught things like, you know, you're born bad and there's nothing you can do about it. And then also further than that, in the evangelical idea that like someone had to die, you know, God's son had to die in order to make you good. Mm-hmm. And then further on top of that, but you still can't be good on your own. There's nothing good about you. Mm-hmm. Also teachings like um, the existence of hell, eternal conscious torment. Um, that was a thing that really messed me up when I was a young, little, empathic, highly sensitive child. And my parents were trying to get me to calm down and and see that I was safe because I, you know, had prayed the prayer and accepted Jesus into my heart. But I didn't know how to explain to my parents as a seven-year-old, highly sensitive child. It's like, that's not a good enough answer for me because you're telling me other people are going to go there. How are you okay with this? How are you okay with believing in a God that's okay with this? I wrote in the book at one point that I actually wasn't afraid. I think my parents thought I was afraid of going to hell. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't afraid of going to hell. I understood how the math worked. What I was actually afraid of was going to heaven because the the guy that came up with the idea of hell and seemed to think it was such a fine idea mm-hmm. with heaven. And I didn't want to be near that guy. 
I mean, not language I had when I was seven or eight, but I was like, that guy sounds sociopathic. Like that's not, I don't think I want to like that guy or be on his team. So it's teachings like that, that I go into, um, again, both from this perspective of uh, brain science and studying trauma and Marlene Winnell, who wrote Leaving the Fold. She's the one that coined the term religious trauma syndrome. Um, so I go into it from that aspect, but also speaking very poignantly about my past experiences um, in childhood and adolescence and beyond and how these ideas and teachings um, interacted with uh, my, I mean, I guess how they informed me to interact with myself and the world around me and the actual devastating impact that had not just on my brain, but then also on my body until I got out and I left. And I, again, figuratively and quite literally started to heal after leaving and no longer feeling required to believe those things about myself. Can you talk a little bit about, it sounds like it never really resonated with you, especially as this highly sensitive empathic child that just didn't feel comfortable with this, the way the math did add up and like wanting to maybe live along that framework or or those rules. So what shifted when you decided to walk away from that or to, to dive into healing around it? Mm-hmm. A lot of what shifted was honestly, my body got too loud to ignore. Um, because you're exactly right in what you're saying of like, it never really resonated. But I also felt so compelled to try and make it fit. And I constantly thought it was my fault that it wasn't fitting. So it was a both and my entire life, which was so internally disrupted, disruptive. Which is why, again, with everything I know now about um, how much our bodies are on our teams and the reality of somatic experiences as it relates to trauma, um, it's not surprising to me that my body kind of got to her wit's end about staying quiet anymore at a certain point, just about how tormented I felt the entire time I was in that religion about, you know, this is apparently true and I'm supposed to not just believe it, but feel great about it. I'm supposed to feel hopeful and happy and free. And I feel none of those things. So I must not be doing it right. So after years of doubling down and tripling down and quadrupling down and going from, you know, um, denomination to denomination to church space to, you know, everything from Southern Baptist to Catholic to, um, reformed kind of Presbyterian to all the way to like very charismatic Pentecostal, um, expressions of, of evangelical, white evangelical Christianity. Um, I ended up, uh, kind of the culmination of all of that efforting for me was moving to England, um, to join a religious community that I now see very, very clearly as a cult. Um, but you don't know you're in a cult when you're in one, that's kind of how they work. Um, it's very insulated, very toxic in, in their teaching and theology, which I, I go into in the book. Um, And I got to a point, you know, I was on a visa for only six months, or I wasn't on a visa. The longest you can be in the UK as an American without a visa is six months and not one day more. And so I'd been there for six months to kind of give it a test run. They had, the indoctrination had worked. I was like, I'm here. I want to give my life to this. When really I just was longing for a family and for somewhere to belong. But the entire six months I was there, my body was still yelling very loudly at me about all the ways that this wasn't working in the same way that my body had been loudly yelling at me through all of my other religious experiences and mission trips and, um, you know, spiritual, um, just various spiritual endeavors. Um, I had been sick for a lot of that time. Um, I had been, I'd been in pain that I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be in for a lot of that time. Um, all these things I thought were just normal or a product of my sin that I just needed to keep believing stronger and it would go away. Um, when I came back from England, carrying all of the, you know, this deep desire to belong there and this, um, I was supposed to be back in the States for about three months and then do the visa application process and go back there and be with them forever. Um, I was dealing with lots of panic attacks. I was dealing with like lots of digestive issues. I was dealing with lots of pain, lots of chronic pain. The culmination again of like years and years and years of this stuff already happening, but it was louder. And they also um, just very practically about two months into my time back in the States, they sent me an email functionally saying, we, oops, we miscalculated our finances. We can't bring you back. Hmm. And it was devastating. Um, I mean, half of everything I owned was still in my closet in my flat. 
there or in my wardrobe. They don't have closets, but you know, my wardrobe there because I was like so convinced I was coming back because they had convinced me and I was convinced in my heart that's where I was supposed to be and God wanted me to be. So that absolutely broke my heart. I mean, they didn't apologize. They just said, you know, this is what God must have had planned the whole time. And so you just have to be obedient about it. Um, and so once again, just further shoving down my actual emotions, that emotional suppression that I had been functioning on my entire life, yeah. um, increased the pain, increased the imbalances in my body, increased the panic attacks, increased the anxiety, um, increased everything. Yeah. And uh, after, um, after about nine, uh, nine months after I got that email, um, I had been, it definitely, I know I keep kind of saying it's like building, but it reached this like boiling point where, um, I couldn't physically be inside of a church building anymore. Mm-hmm. I would go, I would try and go to church, um, at the church I was going to here in Tennessee. And I would have such an intense panic attack that I would have to leave the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I was outside, like I would quite literally step outside, not of the church you know, the sanctuary space, like into a lobby. But once I was out of the building altogether, all of the symptoms would immediately disappear. And it happened repeatedly uh, about three or four weeks in a row. And for someone who's trying to go to church three or four times a week, because that's how, you know, invested I was, that's a lot. Um, That I got to a point where it's like, something is wrong and I can't keep going here. It's just functionally a waste of my time doing this. So I think I have to leave to figure out what happened to me and to figure out what's going on with my body. Yeah. Um, and so it was, I've been curious about what's going on with my body for years prior to that point. Had seen lots of doctors, had done lots of, you know, curiosity, curious investigating on my own, but it had never been this unique combination of leaving this, I now know traumatizing environment mm-hmm. that I was trying so hard to, to fit into and be a part of. I had never experimented with this combination of leaving that environment and getting curious about what was going on with my body. And within a few months, uh, everything changed. Like I felt very free to let go of these beliefs like hell that I'd been wanting to let go of since I was seven or eight years old. I was shocked at how free I felt to let go of them. I was shocked at how, um, obviously my body didn't, you know, quote, heal overnight. That's not the story. That's not what happens with bodies usually. Um, But I had so much of a clearer ability to connect with my intuition and to connect with my own internal curiosity and my own internal knowing. It was like my, my intuition was growing back again. And I could hear signs and signals and communication from my body again in a way I hadn't since I was a child. And so from that was about five years ago, from that day to this one, it's just been a continual journey of learning to listen to that internal information and let that internal information guide me in all ways, whether it relates to the physical, you know, well-being of my body or otherwise. It's so amazing the way that our bodies these physical symptoms show up and they are always these deeper messages. And I was, as you were telling your story, I just felt this deep yearning to belong to a community. Mm. Yet then that community said, actually, no, you can't be part of this. We can't bring you back. And like how triggering and how re-traumatizing when you're just trying to find this community where you can have a sense of belonging. and. I'm curious about the, because you have written about this and because this was your academic thesis, can you talk about the brain science and how more specifically that created a traumatizing effect or was re-triggering? I mean, it's so obvious that when being in a church became a very intense for you emotionally and and then through that brain science and that trauma, it sounds like you found somatic healing and now you are the sex witch. So where did like, that's obviously like this big, big turn of events. How has somatic experiences and somatic healing, how did you get there based on what you learned about the trauma? Mm -hmm. Well, part of how I got there was honestly, again, just like my body leading me to get curious about, um, again, this unique kind of free in, in my curiosity, um, about just why have I been in pain my whole life? Like, why have I, what's been going on with my digestive system? What's been going on just in general inside of my body? Um, and so in order to get that level of curious, so inside of evangelicalism, you kind of have to ignore all somatic 
sensations. Um, because like pain or imbalance in any way is just kind of chalked up to either something you have to have more faith over or something that is like linked to your sin in some way. Um, and so you kind of have to like lay it down on the altar of both of those kind of if you were to pay too much attention, so to speak, to your somatic experiences, you would likely, at least in my experience, be accused of not having enough faith or like not believing enough. And so if you, in order for you to obey God the right way, you have to shift your attention away from caring too much about what's going on in your body and doing a a weird twisted version of like a mind over matter. Like I'm already healed. I'm already well. Like I'm at least in a lot of charismatic spaces. That's a lot of what they do. It doesn't allow you to then just feel what you're feeling. To feel what you're feeling. Like, yes. Almost dissociative in some way. It is. That's the exact that's the exact word for it. And because you and I both know that in order to accomplish any sort of um, somatic experiencing or to like learn that signals from the body are communication, you have to feel them first and then you have to dialogue with them on some level. And that dissociative process, that dis or that that dissociation when you are either wordlessly encouraged towards or directly like you know commanded to engage in is a large ethic of what's going on inside of white evangelical Christianity. So and that contributes to even what you're saying about the you know the question of like well the brain science behind it like as we know um so you've got this this these two things going on here like you have these traumatizing teachings which you know, again, I talk about in the book is like, there's a lot of aspects of these things that if we look at um, behavioral development and cognitive development, um, even through the lens of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, there, there are quite literally very specific needs that are either not being met according to like the, um, very, like the fundamental principles of the teachings of white evangelical Christianity. There are, uh, these things that either aren't being met or they're being met in a way that, um, oh, what's the word for it? They're being, they're conditional. They're being met in a way that's entirely too conditional, which then actually further doesn't meet a, a cognitive or a behavioral um, developmental function, which is kind of this, um, you know, in order to, to develop well and to develop in a healthy way as far as attachment goes. You need to know deep in your body and in your brain that your attachment to your caregivers is not conditional. Mm-hmm. That your attachment and so and then there's also attachment God as attachment theory, like if that's love is conditional. And then a lot of parents in, inside of that religious system who are doing the best they can because it's how they've been told to parent, a lot of that becomes conditional. So there's layers and layers here as to why these things create trauma and create like psychological disturbance. So you've got that going on, but then like you're saying, you've also got this dissociative response. So these two things kind of spiral in with each other and create, and then you also have the narrative of sin put on top of all of that, which is you have, you have unmet needs going on and then you develop coping skills because of those unmet needs. But then a lot of those coping skills, um, which are, you know, dissociative responses, or at least adjacent to dissociative responses, um, are things that inside of that religious system are often looked at as being sinful behavior. Sinful behavior is not seen as an answer to a question, which sinful coping mechanisms actually are an answer to a question. Sinful behavior is just seen as the question itself. Like, oh, we got to deal with your sin. We have to deal with what's going on there. So they try and tell you, again, they double you down on things that are causing you the trauma in the first place, which is, you know, I remember a lot of years of being told to pray certain, you know, verses over myself about how, you know, horrible I was and how undeserving I was and wretched I was, as if that would somehow make me better, as if that shame would somehow set me free ultimately. So again, this whole, this all feeds in on itself. So it's this, this, this you get stuck in this in this closed loop is one of one of the things I call it in the book. It's this closed loop of um, needs not being met, like functional, behavioral, psychological needs not being met according to how you're brought up inside of that religious tradition. And then as you develop these incredibly adaptive and incredibly natural coping skills to deal with those needs not being met, that religion has an answer for that too. Um, and tells you to further, again, further dissociate from the somatic information your body's trying to give you about what you actually need because your body's sinful, remember? Like the flesh, the flesh is bad. So you're just supposed to pray more. You're supposed to rely on the spirit more. You're supposed to be above the information of your flesh. So you double down on a dissociative response and, a, and, and shame in, in the face of those coping mechanisms. 
And when you double down with shame and your coping mechanisms, you never, you know, you never stay compassionate long enough to get curious about what your body's actually trying to tell you. So it really is, you get so stuck inside of this loop. And that loop, I mean, it ha- that loop had me for years until I don't know if it was always going to break, if that was always going to break, or if it was the specific combination of a community of people that I so desperately wanted to be my family that like told me they were going to be my family. It could be that that heartbreak was just so intense that my brain and my body couldn't handle staying inside of that loop anymore. Um, I'll probably never know if it would have always worked out this way. I have a strong suspicion it would have, but um, it it has worked out the way that it's worked ultimately thus far. Um, I really do think that evangelical Christianity was never going to keep me because I really think my body loves me more than that and that she would have gotten my attention one way or another eventually. I want to take a quick moment to tell you a little bit more about our partner, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked is all about personal health testing, making healthcare and health screening open and patient-led, empowering people to use technology in a simple but powerful way, and giving all of us more control over our personal health. You are the CEO of your health. (laughs) I remind my clients of this all the time. And the more information we have about our body, especially what we can't see within ourselves, is allows us to make more empowered and informed decisions. There are tests for coronavirus, for colon cancer, for cholesterol levels, for diabetes, the C-reactive protein test that is important or could at least be informative for all of those of you listening who have autoimmune disease, chronic illness. I've done their B vitamin test, their liver test, as well as their uh, ovarian reserve test. And these, again, are all insightful numbers and results that can help you take control of of your trajectory of your health. They also have clinicians that will help you interpret the results and uh, guide you on the path that's going to be best best suited for you. I have a special discount code for all of the Uncensored Empath listeners. The code is EMPATH and it gets you 20% off at letsgetchecked.com on all their health testing kits. Again, code is EMPATH at letsgetchecked.com. So in the curiosity, like you said, this combination that couldn't have really happened if you were still in the, like the institution, the the structure of evangelical Christianity, this partnering up of compassion for yourself, the curiosity. What then did that road, did that lead you down to then start to re-experience yourself or question what was true and what's not true and who am I? And I, I would assume that these really big, like life-changing questions come to the surface around what am I going to choose to believe and how can I change the relationship with myself? I, and just a quick side story, I was raised like nothing. So I wasn't raised atheist, agnostic, Presbyterian, Catholic, Christian, like nothing. I just had no structure. And mm-hmm. so... I think it's so natural that at a certain age, if we're not told what to think, that we start to ask those questions. And that was my experience. I bought, like as at 18, 19 years old, when I went to college, I bought books on God because I was just curious. I was like, I Mm -hmm. I don't even fucking know. Do I believe in God? Do I not? And I was just had so many questions. And eventually I found my own beliefs, my own path through a lot of other things in my life and more spirituality than anything I would ever say is religious. But there were all these questions. And I imagine when you stepped away and were able to have then that compassion for yourself, the curiosity of your body and your belief system, that you also had these really big questions. So in those big questions, what have you discovered? Mm, Such a good question. I, well, I, the first thing I discovered is what you just described of like, when you were talking, I was like, man, I'm so jealous of those like very naturally developed and easily come by critical thinking skills. Like that's what you're just describing is like, I was brought up with nothing. So I got to explore and figure out what worked for me and what I wanted. Those critical thinking skills were so hard won for me. And that was the darkest time, honestly, was the first year or so after I left, the only thing I'd ever been told was true. And all I knew is that it wasn't. 
And for, for all I could assume, maybe nothing was, but I certainly wasn't even ready to entertain the idea that something else possibly could be. And so that first phase, that was vital, honestly. And this is something that when I talk to people who have just left, it's like, it's terrifying. You largely, you start to like double down on all those coping mechanisms. Like I talk to a lot of people who are like, I've been drinking a lot. Should I be worried? And I'm like, this might just be part of it. Like, you know, the, the part where you feel so like, I mean, I had many moments where the idea that not only was I no longer talking to anybody, but my child self who grew up in an abusive home and only had God on her team, maybe she wasn't talking to anybody then either. Like my largest breakdown happened, unfortunately, while I was driving my car. And that thought occurred to me that I was like, oh, I'm not just not talking to someone now. I'm not just alone now. I was also alone then. Like nine-year-old me was utterly alone. And I had to pull my car over for about 20 minutes because I couldn't, I couldn't handle that. And I was sobbing so hard I couldn't keep driving. Like those moments were terrifying to be in, but they were necessary to go through because that's the only way that I was able to kind of develop a relationship to critical thinking was um, to have those, have those scary moments and not dissociate away from them, not just double down on the answer I thought was true. That's the biggest difference, I think, is what happened. It's like when I left fundamentalism, I didn't have an answer for everything anymore. So then I had to engage the pain of the mystery of not having answers. And that plunged me back into my body because emotions live here. Pain, grief, sorrow, anger, confusion lives here. And I had been avoiding those emotions and avoiding my body at the same time. Um, so I didn't have the luxury of dissociation. And it's a weird way to put it, but I didn't have the luxury of dissociation anymore because the emotions were too strong. And so when I lost my ability to live in a like constantly dissociated banner all of the time because I was going through so much grief, um, that also then led me again to be like, oh, there's other things going on in my body, like chronic pain. And there's other things going on in my body, like, um, you know, the presence of digestive problems that I've had apparently since the day I came out of the womb. Like it was, and, and learning that like, oh my, again, my pain isn't just a symptom of my sin or my malfunctioning, so to speak, body isn't just a symptom of, oh, well, bodies don't matter. Spirits matter more. And like our bodies are just failing and passing away. And that's just what happens. Like I got to get curious about why the hell I was put on a medication when I was 20 years old that I was told I was going to have to take 30 minutes before I ate every meal for the rest of my life because my body just didn't work. Was literally told, your body just doesn't work. And I got to get curious about like, well, why? Like, why? Like, maybe I was born with that, but also maybe not. Maybe there's other things. So I want to know all of the why. So as I started to develop critical thinking and find out what emotions actually felt like in my body, primarily through getting really good therapy that helped me learn how to navigate my relationship to emotional regulation. I also got curious about, I don't know, something even as simple as like, I mean, it's, this sounds, it's so obvious to me now, but it was so, it's like, it's almost laughable. But at the time I figured out I was allergic, like half of what I was eating. Like, like that's what's going on here. Like, so I got to even get curious about that. Like maybe my body has something to tell me about what I'm eating, that there's a reason why like once I stopped being dissociated and just living with pain as if that was normal, I was like, oh, after I eat this thing, I'm in pain. What happens if I don't eat that thing, eat something different instead? And then I notice like my ability to just notice happened. So along with like the critical thinking skills, going through that really like dark depression in order to start crawling my way back to like what could possibly have meaning for me. I think the place where I first started to find what could have meaning for me was just what my body had to tell me. And to be honest with you, I think that is the thing that has continued to navigate me. I don't, I don't really, um, you know, identify myself with any sort of belief or spirituality in any specific way anymore. Um, even my relationship to the idea of self-identifying as a witch is pretty loose because I think it should be. Because for me, or at least it needs to be, I don't like the word should, but for me it needs to be because the thing that I know will... Um, potentially put me down a road of, of dissociation with my body again, or dissociative responses or, you know, emotional suppression is if anything becomes too fundamentalist. If I start 
believing that I have a cognitive answer for something rather than just sitting in the pain of not knowing. I desperately need to continue to have a relationship with my body where I can, where I sit in the pain of not knowing. And I feel all of my feelings and I feel, and I don't repress my emotions and I don't, you know, immediately revert to coping mechanisms. Or if I do, I can pull myself back lovingly and compassionately get curious about what, what sent me to those coping mechanisms. So the idea that I would develop any kind of um, religious belief or practice or um, way of being or moving through the world that would um, cause me to rush to a cognitive explanation for something without sitting in the mystery and how that actually feels Mm -hmm. is the main thing that my body has taught me in the last five years that I neither she and I like don't ever want to do again. Um, So that's really, I mean, that's a lot of what that has looked like. And I am honestly, really (laughs) jealous on some level for people that just got to start to explore that during their formative years. Um, or just know that that you had permission to do that during their formative years. Like, honestly, I should have, we all should have, that's kind of what those, uh, developmental years are for, Mm -hmm. but you know, inner healing and and reparenting is a thing and that's a journey we're on now. Yeah. And it's, I truly believe that it's brought you to where you are today and yeah, it's so interesting that you brought up that one of your main physical symptoms are digestive issues because the emotional root of digestive issues are entering into this world where you're like, I can't digest this shit. Like this is not my truth. I can't, I can't, this is, this is not for me. I can't digest this. And I'm like rejecting it. Even the food allergies, I'm rejecting this. Rejecting. Yes my reality. I'm rejecting this as my truth. And yeah, it's just another instance, another example of how mm-hmm. our bodies are working for us versus against yes. us. And yes. That really brings me like to the topic of sex because sex is also something that is obviously like talked about in a very certain way within the institution of religion. And you were taught one way and you went on this very like curious path and this started to use your critical thinking and that has a I, I think completely shifted for you. So how have you reclaimed your sexual agency? Mm-hmm. Well first of all, one of the things I really love about what you just said, like what kind of welled up in me while you were saying all of that, which was so beautiful, was this feeling of like, yes, like yes to all of that because my body has always been committed to telling the truth on my behalf when I put it. Like when I, you know, had to lie to myself functionally in order to belong inside of a religious system that beautifully put, like I couldn't digest, like I was, I was needing to reject because it wasn't for me. My body was doing it on my behalf. And it, you know, and this is a big thing I work through with my clients is learning to not, um, imbue a hostility on that, to not believe that that's my body being mean to me. That's actually my body being wildly kind in a way I just haven't learned how to recognize yet. And so the work I do with my clients is learning how to recognize with compassion and curiosity, like let's at least pause long enough to give the most generous assumption and see what our bodies might have to be telling us and, and expect kindness from them and see how the conversation dialogue with our bodies opens up after that point. So to piggyback off of that to your question, um, sex fascinatingly was, I won't say always because I didn't start having well, I didn't start having partnered sex until I was 20, but you know, masturbation was um, something I engaged with with my body and self-pleasure. Um, I think around 11 or 12, I think, you know, part of that point. Um, that relationship to sex and sexuality, sexual expression, um, was really the only area that I had at the time where I felt like I, I was getting close to telling the truth alongside my body. There was this, again, but that caused a further internal disruption because I didn't experience actual like naturally occurring shame for uh, engaging with myself or a partner sexually. But I experienced shame over the fact that I wasn't experiencing naturally occurring shame. I felt as close as I could possibly feel when I was so dissociated and so emotionally repressed. I felt as close as I could feel to um, being connected with my body and hearing from my body in those, again, both partnered and solo um, experiences. Predominantly then solo because, again, that shame is, is, such a, is such a villain. And it was something that caused me, you know, a lot of the sex I had prior to leaving 
religion because I was in that cycle of like, I'll have sex because I know this what my body like wants me to do. And then I have to shame myself and be like, I'll never do it again, you know, and then you just kind of do that cycle. So a lot of the sex I was having was pretty dissociated. Um, and usually I was, you know, on some kind of substance, like you know, predominantly alcohol in order to like lower my inhibitions to be able to do it in the first place. But I even see those impulses now to move in that direction towards expressing my sexuality as a kindness for my body where, you know, when I'm in the religious tradition, I have to see that as like, Oh, that's my, my flesh or that's the devil tempting me in some way. And I'm like, no, she's trying to get me back to myself. That's what she's doing. So once, so knowing that that was always true, like sex was the way in which my body was always trying to remind me that I'm allowed to belong to myself. Once I no longer had to like, play the game and shame, you know, create this artificially imposed shame because the naturally occurring shame never happened. Once I just got to like leave the religion that told me to play by different rules. Um, obviously it was, again, none of this has has been overnight, but I got to let myself get curious about what it would be like to just enjoy it or to just remain present. I also got to get curious about the reactions going on in my body again, in partnered situations, but particularly in experiences of self-pleasure where um, like I would feel a resistance right, like rise up or I would go somewhere in my head that would sound a lot like shame or my, my body would get really rigid. Um, like certain areas in my, in my abdomen or in my thighs would go so rigid that I would have to stop masturbating before I could even climax because this felt sense that my body was resisting what we were doing. And rather than shame or rather than, you know, the other response I might've had when I was a Christian or thinking that was, you know, God trying to save me from doing something bad. Who knows what, how I would have explained that or how I did explain that because I was doing this other work. I got to slow down and be like, what are you trying to tell me right now? Are you remembering something? Are you remembering like years and years and years of purity culture telling us we weren't allowed to do this? Because I need you to know that we, we don't agree with those rules anymore. In fact, those rules were never true. Um, you knew that, but you were doing such a good job trying to get me to be able to belong. Um, but you are really trying to believe those rules. And thank you so much for all that work you did on my behalf. But we're writing new rules now for ourselves. So like, this is safe. This is good. Like what we're doing here is okay. And you can let go. And that's been, again, years of a process of learning that there is, there can be an, a self-intimacy and an intentionality to um, my experience of and with sex, whether again with a partner or with myself. And that does kind of segue naturally into my relationship to sex magic because on some level, what I just described is sex magic. Um, it's partnering what you're doing with your intention and with your own energy, well, partnering with, with your, you know, you're raising your energy and partnering with, with your intention to try and manifest what you want to bring about in the world. Well, what I most desperately at that time and still do want to bring about in the world is my own whole wellness and aliveness and healing. So I, there are many different ways in which people engage with sex magic and um, all of them are legitimate. But for me, it hasn't really been about like wanting to like manifest more money or like manifest like a partner or anything like that. It's been wanting to manifest an intimacy in my relationship with myself and a, a wellness in my relationship with my body. And that doesn't mean a fixed healedness. That means a relationship with her where I don't become hostile to her when she is unwell, because she might remain some level of unwell for the rest of my life, at least according to you know Western medical standards and capitalism and patriarchy and all these other oppressive systems. She might remain you know subpar until I die, according to those standards. But that doesn't mean I abandon her. That doesn't mean I leave her. So I'm not actively trying to use sex magic to really. Um, manifest any sort of external thing or like a fixed body. I'm trying to manifest um, a kindness and a compassion and an intimacy with her that remains my guiding ethic and my relationship as I, with my body as I navigate moving through the world as someone who has invisible illness, honestly. Um, and you know, there's been, there's other things with sex magic too that, you know, I have you can, you can set your intention anywhere. So I have set my intention other places, but how I found that that's powerful and how I found that actually it works is because this kindness and this compassion and this curiosity did over time well up within me in her direction. And so I was like, oh, maybe there's something to this. Maybe like 
all spell work is or all, you know, sex magic or really any magical practice is, maybe it's all placebo on some level because it is, but that's because whatever we believe has meaning has meaning. And so I was deeply believing that what I was doing had meaning and that she was worth me doing it. And eventually I lived my way into that being effortlessly true. And so I, that's really all magic feels like to me. Um, I don't think I've ever described it that way before. And I think I like, I think I like what I just said more than any other way I've ever described it. So thank you for asking that question. You're welcome. And you know, it's interesting as you've been sharing this, I, as I already shared with you, was not brought up in any sort of rules institution, any like you should believe this, this is good, this is bad. But I still feel like society, media did tell me and, and mm-hmm. so many rules on how I was supposed to feel about my my entire lady parts, like yeah. vulva, vagina, uterus, all of it. Yeah. And so when it was first presented to me that the energy of orgasm was the most potent, powerful creation energy, and that my vagina was not just for a man's penis or anything else. Like it was not just this serving giving mm-hmm. thing. And it there were there was creative energy in my womb. There is like yeah. like powerful fucking yes. energy of creation. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, why did I not realize that. Yeah. Why did I yeah. think it was only for this one, one singular purpose? And the practice of sex magic, which was presented in the words of orgasmic manifestation to me. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh my, it like blew my mind. Yes. And I was like, all at the same time, I was like, give me more, please. Like, yeah. I love this coming home to ourselves and seeing our bodies in a different light. And it was so beautiful to hear you describe this very clear desire for belonging within these religious communities and the seeking, this yearning for belonging. But you really came full circle and, and then eventually realized I don't need to belong in that, that this institution. I need to belong to myself. I need to come home to myself. Yes. And through connecting to myself and through loving my body and giving her pleasure. I can reconnect to her in a beautiful fucking way. Yes. Get to know her better and listen to her messages better. It's me. I really, my intuition, I saw this like circle, like, oh shit. Yes. Like that is such a full circle process for you. It is. Of course, this has been your path to find not belonging externally, but belonging internally. And I think it like, I can only assume it took so much courage to confront all of this and to make the changes to get to where you are today. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing Mm. this. Is there anything else that you feel like is has come to the surface, wrestled up that you feel like you want to share or speak on today? I mean, apart from just saying like what you just said and the way you just described it, like just gave me so many chills because again, I've never thought about it exactly that way before. And I also see it in this full circle really clearly in this moment. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of in a, in a, in a very authentic brand new moment of awe about, um, cause on some level, I mean, yeah, it is my journey, but it most, it really truly mostly just feels like my body's journey. Cause the work I do is, you know, centering the personhood of the body. So, you know, holding space for people to learn how to how to and what it means to refer to their bodies as he, she, or they instead of it. So I think of her as a person and I think of her as not only my greatest teacher um, and the person who like encouraged me um, very lovingly and very sternly to like go start beginning to go on this journey, but also the person I did it for. Like she asked me to do it. She, she's taught me to do it, but I also am doing it for her. And that feels when you're describing this, like, internal belonging like but you know i've been searching for that belonging elsewhere in places that were harming me 
And now I found it with her and I found it through, um, largely through reconnecting with her through my relationship to sex magic and, and sexuality. And that also then helped me feel so at home here that I have been able to find external spaces of belonging, people that really see me, really know me, really accept me for all of who I am. Um, and that is just, that's so compelling. And I feel, I mean, a, a brand new unique kind of grateful for that whole experience, like in this moment for the way that you just mirrored that back to like, this is, yeah, that's big. That feels huge. So, um, yeah, thank you for asking me to talk about it today and for, for talking with me about it. Um, cause I do feel like, I think the most important thing, I mean, it's equally important that I got to, you know, have this journey of coming home to myself. Um, I think very often as women, we are compelled to like contextualize our own journeys as only being worth it according to what we can give away. Um, and no, it's like worth it just to like have it. I don't need to, you know, give anything that I've learned away or be selfless in it. Like women can like keep their experiences for themselves, but there is beauty and the generosity and the storytelling of like, no, this has happened for me. It can happen for you. And obviously if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be a coach. Like that's why I do what I do for a living. And I do believe that what you're describing that I I have found in my relationship and my connection with my body is possible for everyone that I work with. I had a client once tell me, he was like, are you sure I'm not just like a special case that this like can't, I can't come home to myself in this way. And I was like, if that was true, if I believed that there was anyone out there who was a special case and like that this didn't, if I really did not actually believe that this was possible for every person, I would be such an asshole for taking your money. Like if I thought maybe you just couldn't crack the code, but like other people possibly could, like, no, I don't believe that. Like this is possible. Um, it's a long process. Um, it's a beautiful process. It's an arduous process, but that I think is the biggest thing that I could hope and have seen from the last year of people reading my book or, you know, following me on social media is this recognition of, I see something in your journey that I think might be possible for me. And this has given me enough hope to begin to get curious enough to start fighting for that for myself or to just begin. That's what I hope listeners may take away from this as well as anything they just naturally feel they resonate with. But this curiosity of, and this permission slip that we never needed mm-hmm. from anyone outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it does. I mean, honestly, sometimes it does feel good to see it in someone else. And it does make us go, Oh, I can do that too. Or oh, I'm giving myself permission now. Yeah. To go on this journey of reconnecting to my body and really coming home to it in a way that you receive the messages versus that dissociative pattern that maybe was taught or learned or however we pick that up in our programming and our patterning in life. And instead, relearning or unlearning to mm-hmm. yes. this relationship to my to myself. So I'd love to also end with just if this has piqued curiosity and interest in somebody who feels like they maybe have a similar journey or are just feeling like they want to reconnect to their own magic, their own truth within them mm-hmm. and that powerful creation energy as well. Where do they start? I mean, can they find resources from you? Can they do something on their own? Where, where do we get started? Mm-hmm. Well, I do think that anybody could get started on their own because again, everybody's got a body that's constantly trying to speak to them. But it is a hard process for a lot of people to know where to begin and how to hear. And when they do hear, like what to do with the information they're hearing. Um, so what I will say really simply about that is that question has actually been such a... Um, enormous and uh, beautiful and strange burden that I feel really grateful for. But also I recognize it's a burden for the last like three years of me doing this work professionally. Um, My wait list at one point had ballooned to about 700 people. And that is not (laughs) sustainable. Like in the peak of the book coming out, it like it exploded. And so what I'm getting ready to begin work on actually starting at the end of this month um, is an online course that people can enroll in on their own time, you know, it'll be much more um, financially accessible because like, you know, passive content, like you can do payment plans and you, you don't have to wait for me. And it's not my, in that moment, my time and my energy. So it's a much more accessible price point. It's a more accessible format and it can be accessible to way more people than I can take on at one time. Um, I'm actually going to be starting the development of that 
finally, it feels like a final, but it also feels like I needed to learn a lot doing one-on-one client work for three years before I like believed myself to be so like, oh yeah, I can totally create a course. But now I feel really confident that I have enough material to at least create something that feels like a one-on-one. Like this is where you start. Like this is... This is the beginning of what connecting with the person of your body actually looks like and and beginning to believe that they are actually your friend. So let's learn about what has lied to you to make you believe otherwise. And let's learn about how to unlearn that. And let's learn about what to learn now instead and letting it be a process. Um, So if folks want to... like, I'll be working on that for a few months right now. At this point, my ideal launch time for that will be in November of this year probably do some, you know, somewhere in October to November. So if people want to just like follow me on social media, I'm sure I will post about that a bunch. And there's also, um, to build up to that, I'm going to be doing some like, you know, cultivating some more online community just beyond social media through like, uh, email type things that I am not good at, but I'm going to try and get good at. Um, so there's a spot on my website as well. That used to be the section for the wait list that is actually kind of now functionally a section for a newsletter. Um, so people follow me, either sign up for that or follow me on social media. You'll equally be alerted to what's going on when it's happening and what that process looks like as it's, as it's developing. Um, because I've got really, I've got the ability to kind of onboard one more round of, you know, new clients, about 20 people at a time, um, before this course launch happens. And I have a lot of, I'm really eager to get that thing created because for many years now, I haven't known how to answer that question or how to, how to functionally and succinctly tell people where to begin without working with them for four to six months at a time. Because this is, I mean, and this is something I talk about with my clients a lot too. It's like, if anyone tries to tell you that coming home to your bottom is a simpler process than this, like they're lying to you and probably like trying to sell you something just for the sake of trying to sell it to you. I don't think they're actually invested. Yeah. Yep. Like masturbate. It's three steps. Yeah. Three step process, follow it. And then, and yeah, it's just, so there's a lot with that, that it, it's a complicated question to answer because I care so deeply about it being answered well. And because um, most things that are true are, are more nuanced than being able to answer succinctly. So that's why the course is, it needs to happen and is going to happen. So yeah, people want to follow me on social media. They will know about what my best answer is about where to begin um, by the end of this year. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm excited for that to be birthed into the world. You guys, mm-hmm. Jamie's over on Instagram at I am Jamie Lee. Bench. We'll also, of course, uh, link that in the show notes. Jamie, thank you so much for just sharing your heart and your story today. I appreciate you coming on to the show. Thank you, Sarah. This has been great. Okay. So full disclosure, being part of Soulfire Productions is the most magical, fantastical thing because it feels like a little soul tribe family of other podcast hosts where we get to collaborate and we get to mastermind and It brings so much joy to my life and I am somebody who thrives on that community. So I want to introduce you to a few more of the podcast hosts inside of this network. Today, I'm going to introduce you to the most fabulous witches. Their names are Leah Knauer and Rachel LaForest of Basic Witches. These ladies are next level. It is so much fun to be a fly on the wall during their conversations. And you can ride along during their episodes with Leah and Rachel as they share their deep thoughts, deep breathing, and deep belly laughs and open up with celebrity guests and professionals in the spiritual world that they have on as guests. They ask the basic questions so you don't have to astrology.com loves them and I think you will too. So give this fiery Gemini and Scorpio duo a listen anywhere podcasts can be found. And as the basic witches say, hexo, hexo. Thanks so much for tuning in today's conversation with Jamie. I have some very exciting news. My new monthly membership called Empath Leaders is now open. The doors have swung and I am inviting you to join me. This is an ongoing monthly membership that is flexible. You can cancel if it ever becomes not a fit for you. And it's really healing for the healers of the world because your impact will only grow as far as you grow yourself. 
And I know what it feels like to have taken a bajillion courses and be on a self-development path for a long time now, but it still feels like you're getting in your own damn way. Because the truth is you can listen to all the podcasts, you can do all of the things, you can enroll in all of the courses, and you can still, it is possible, you can still feel stuck. So if you're like I once was, and maybe you've created some tangible success or have fits of clarity within your purpose and in your leadership role as an empath or highly sensitive on this planet, but then you hit these major plateaus, I get it. And I know it can make you want to scream. I know it can make you go, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I just have the impact that I, de- that I desire on the, on the world? And the truth is that you, you can, and you really truly can have it all. But we don't create true change in the conscious mind. The subconscious is where all of our programming resides. And our inner child will always have something to say every time we want to go to the next level and have even more impact on the world. This monthly membership is for the empath leaders of the world. It is more about self-growth, less about worrying about other people's opinions. It is more about community and less going alone, more inclusion, less comparison, more pleasure, less burnout, and most importantly, more embodied feminine leadership and less trying to fit into masculine molds. If this feels like a perfect fit for you and a container of support that you want to be in, join the over 25 women that are already inside of the empath leaders that joined about a month ago when I opened carts for doors for just 24 hours. They jumped in fast. We've already got material and content that you can listen to that is pre-recorded the second you join. We also have three calls per month that you'll be invited to participate on live as well as they'll, they'll be recordings too. And those three calls have three different themes. The first is a healing session that we go through together as a group. So you can do the inner work that does affect your outer world. The second is a group coaching call. This is where you can ask me anything on life or business. And finally, we have a breathwork session that is completely transformative and allows you to get into your body versus numb numb out or disconnect that we so often fall into the trap of. You also get 10 to 50% off all of my uncensored empath programs in a Facebook group that is so delightful. Again, it's already been open for a month for those who jumped in super early. Members are loving it. And I hope to see you inside this container, the Empath Leaders Membership. The link to join is in the show notes. Thank you all so much for listening. And I'll see you next week for another episode of the Uncensored Empath Podcast. Podcast.